Oh, I'd love to invite Aroha. Is she here this morning? Here she is. We've got a freedom retreat coming up very soon, and uh, we run one once a year, and uh, it's a powerful time of encounter of the Lord, and we've uh, got Araha's going to share something about her encounter. So which one did you go to, Araha? Um, so I was at the freedom retreat about two years ago. Two years ago at the freedom yeah, retreat. Two years ago. What did, what did you... No, the one before. One before, yeah. What, what, uh, when you came, what were you expecting? Um, oh, I, I you didn't know, know what to expect. <laughs> So what happened in that time in the encounter? Um, so the whole time I was sitting there from oh, early on when we walked in, um, on the first day, I just had this stirring inside me and something just didn't feel, it, was, it just wasn't sitting right with me. It was right. not a nice feeling. Things were surfacing in yeah, your life as yeah. you came in. Yeah. yeah. It's quite an uncomfortable sensation, isn't it? it? Yeah, it was. It was. And then it just grew throughout the day and Right. So it was Friday night and Saturday afternoon, and so through that time, things inside you were stirring to the surface. Yeah. And uh, you responded to the teaching, came up on the altar call, got prayer. What um, happened then? So oh, it, it was before that. It was during a break. Um, and, and then, yeah, you, um, I came up and just spoke a bit with you um, and got prayer and deliverance. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, and I just shared a bit about how uh, I didn't know quite what it was, but it came out that it was that I was still broken over the soul tie between me and my father dying when I was when he was when I was four and a half. Right. Yeah, but I was I was wrapped in his arms when he passed away, and it just it, lots was left on me. You were never able to let go. You were still no. attached to him. There was like a. A connection that needed yeah. to be broken and, yeah. and spiritual death needed to be cut and grief yeah. needed to come off your life. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And what happened after that then? How did, what was the change? Um, well, there was, there was a couple of changes. So um, every time life got hard, I found myself reverting back to a four-and-a-half-year-old little girl. Oh, wow. And all the decisions that I wanted, the big decisions that I made, I'd go back to them. So under pressure, you would lose your power to go forward yeah. and go back to where you were disempowered as a yeah. four-year-old, four-and-a-half-year-old yeah. girl. And then every big decision I made, well, I have to travel back to where he was buried and talk to him about it. And with a, and, and so decisions were made based on a conversation with someone that was was dead, deceased, yeah, right, deceased, right, and big decisions and. Yeah, I guess I just... So since that time, you've been able to move on? Yeah, absolutely. What's been the change? Um, well, I feel like I've grown up. <laughs> I grew up. Um, wow. And, yeah, just just freedom. Right. You, there's a sense of peace and that, although I lost my father, I still gained a father yeah. in God. And yeah. um, so that's... I know now I'm never alone. I'm, I have him with me always. Wow. Um, life just seems a whole lot easier. Wow. Yeah. And Sonny saw the change in you, didn't he? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what did he notice? Um, 
I don't know. I just wasn't probably as aggressive or <laughs> broken. <laughs> um, we still have our moments, but... <laughs> yeah, Everyone no, we're, does. We're, yeah, I don't know. I just... Um, I wasn't... I just wasn't scared anymore. Right. Yeah. Wow. Well, it's a huge thing to lose your father at such a tender age. And obviously the trauma of that, yeah. and you just got locked into that whole time in your life, yeah. which is why you couldn't really grow up. Yeah. And once you had prayer ministry and got separated from that and attachments taken off you, then you were able to just suddenly, suddenly just come alive in that area of your life. Yeah. Isn't that fantastic? Yeah, that's fantastic. So what would you say to people about the retreat then? Come. <laughs> Be there. <laughs> yeah. Great. Yeah. And, and as well, during those days, there were, like, I felt... Um, pushback where you know you something another part of you saying oh don't go you don't need to go don't don't go in there so there was a and, turmoil about yeah. even getting there right yeah. okay yeah. and you recognize now that was a spiritual warfare for your freedom yeah but I was so new to this that I didn't I didn't really know what it was no. but for some reason yeah I still I just still thank God for just still getting me through those doors wow. and yeah. Well, you made it, in yeah. spite of all the turmoil. Well, you made it. Good on you. Come on, let's give her a great clap. Thank you very much. So Freedom Retreat is about setting people free. That's really quite simple. And we don't know how much baggage we carry. We don't really know how much uh, our life is still uh, hindered in going forward because of experiences we've had uh, where uh, things have been done to us. We've been in pain. We've never resolved those things. And so as a result of trauma, a result of our own sin, our life is hell bound. And so the Freedom Retreat is about giving teaching and instruction on that area. And then it's about a power encounter. It's not so much a long counseling session. It's about actually you encountering God and being set free. So come and come with an open heart. Come to be set free. Uh, don't hold back. If you've been there before, you can come again. Because I found God works in layers in our life. In my journey, I, I find that God has seasons of working and new things are coming to the surface and new changes are taking place. And it always is the same process, a process of awareness first of the problem, then revelation as to what's really going on and of God's provision, then repentance and restoration and being set free from spirits. Most of us don't realize the reality of the spirit world. The moment you set your face to come to a place where you'll be set free, there will be a turmoil you'll have. There'll be doubts come, there'll be questions come, you'll minimize your need for, oh, I don't really need to, oh, I come too busy in this. All those sort of arguments will come to your mind. I want to ask you this question, where do those arguments come from? Where do you think they come from? See, they're actually spirits talking, trying to stop you having your encounter with God. So I encourage you to book in, come in, and let's have a fantastic time together. Have well, you got my Bible up there already? Awesome. Why don't you open your Bible with me in 1 Kings chapter 18 and verse 30. I have something I felt the Lord put on my heart to share, and uh, I've taken some days to think and ponder on this, and uh, it's something I believe that God is wanting to address in our lives. We are hungry for more of God. Listen, without an ongoing encounter with God, you become religious without realizing it. Without an ongoing experience with God, you drift back to living life in your own strength. Without an ongoing experience in God, you drift back to a life without faith, no miracles, no supernatural, 
you're struggling just like everyone else. And then when you begin to accept that as your normal, then you live a life without God. The Bible talks in the New Testament about having the form of godliness, but no power. And so you and I need the power of God. I want to share a message today called uh, Repair the Altar of the Lord. Repair the Altar of the Lord. It's found in 1 Kings chapter 18. And you know the story, and I'm not going to focus on the whole story. I want to just focus on just this one thought. Let's find it in verse 30. And we're aware of tremendous famine that was in Israel. The problem of Israel was a need of spiritual revival. The problem was spiritual powers had so destroyed the country that it now had rejected the ways of God, very much like the West has rejected Christianity, secular humanism has entered the nation, and now we should not be surprised if God has abandoned that there are new altars and that there are new gods worshipped and there are strange practices that cause destruction to families. I think one of the worst aspects is that now they're trying to say that that's normal, and if you say anything about that, that's hate speech. So that tells us how far the West has moved. And this is very like what had happened in that day. And so the Bible tells us that Elijah uh, confronted the spiritual powers of the situation, called the prophets of Baal to come together and uh, mock them and challenge them to show who is the real God. And as we come to the end times, as we come in this day that we live, there is a need for the church to be able to demonstrate the reality of God. It's not just about a meeting. It's not just about uh, having a little prayer time or reading your Bible. It's about you experiencing God. And as you pray, things happen in your life. And so it says here in verse 30, it tells us there, Elijah said to all the people, come near to me. And when the people came near to him, he repaired the altar of the Lord that was broken down. He repaired the altar of the Lord that was broken down. And then we go down, his actual prayer was very little. He didn't pray very much. But his prayer, the Bible tells us after he prayed, this is all he said. He said, hear, O God, verse 36, Lord God of uh, Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day, your God in Israel, I'm your servant, and I did this at your command. Hear me, O God, hear this people, that the people may know you're the Lord God, and that you've turned their hearts back to you again. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering. So throughout the Bible, fire speaks of the Holy Spirit. Fire is a picture of the Holy Spirit. He comes like a fire. doesn't say he is a fire. Holy Spirit is a person, but he comes like wind. In other words, you can't see where it comes or goes. He moves spontaneously. Holy Spirit comes like water, he moves, and it's not, he is not water. He acts like water to bring a cleansing in our life. He's also like fire. And so many times in the Bible, fire fell. There was literally, fire fell from heaven. And you'll find in every situation where fire fell, there was one thing they had in common. Someone had built an altar and made a sacrifice to God. There is no fire comes from heaven without someone building an altar and paying a price. There has to be some sacrifice. There is a cost for the fire of God. 
You want to live a life without the power of God? You'll pay a price. It'll be a long, slow, drawn-out price. But when you pay the price in prayer to have God on your life, everything begins to change. Everything begins to change. He repaired the altar of the Lord that was broken down. So what is the altar? What is the altar of the Lord? And uh, I want to share some things later. First of all, uh, the word altar comes from a word meaning literally a root of to slay an animal or put something to death to make a sacrifice. So when we talk about an altar, the altar and the sacrifice really are synonymous. They're the same thing because the altar is built for a sacrifice. And so through the Bible, you find the altar was always a place where people made a sacrifice. That means something was surrendered to God. That's the nature of a sacrifice. A sacrifice costs you something. Something that costs you is surrendered to God. It may be your time. It may be finances. It may be uh, your own plans. It may be your own will. Whatever it is, it's something that costs you something. And that thing that costs you is surrendered to God. And so an altar is a place or an occasion where we have an encounter with God. It's a place of sacrifice where something costly is surrendered and it's consumed. So when you make your offering to God, it is gone. You can't get it back. It has gone. It's been surrendered and it's consumed. But an offering, uh, an altar is not just the place of encounter God and the place of a, of a sacrifice. An altar in the Bible is a place of exchange. You have to see that. If we focus just on paying a price, we miss the reason for an altar. The altar is a place of divine exchange. In other words, something is surrendered to God in order that something much more valuable might be received. Say that again. An altar is a place of encountering God, a place where you meet and experience God. So we don't have to have an altar in any place. The altar can be anywhere you are. An altar is a place of sacrifice. It costs you something. Something is given to God that costs you something, and it is consumed. It's acceptable to God because of the attitude and spirit it's given it. And thirdly, an altar is a place of exchange. In other words, Something is given to God in order that something might be received back. So it's never just. It's never just about the price. It's always about the joy that follows. It says in Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 2, Jesus endured the cross. In other words, he paid the price and it cost him heavily to give up his life. But what caused him to do it was love for God, love for people, and the joy that was ahead of that divine exchange. So we see everywhere there is an offering, there is a place it's offered, there is something given to God, and there's something received in return. Now the devil doesn't make any new things up, the devil just copies the things of God. So you find that the altars offered to idols throughout cultures of the world are a substitute, something that copies the real thing, but has no power to change for the good. It has power to change you. It'll bring you into bondage to demons, but it doesn't change you for good. So the Bible tells us that God has an altar. And notice this about the altar of the Lord. It is the altar 
of God. God instituted the idea of an altar. God commanded altars. We'll see that in just a moment. And altars are for honoring God. It's a place to give God the rightful place of honor in your life. If there's no altar in your life, there's no place where God is regularly honored. Something is given to Him in order you might have the life of God flowing through you. Today, we want everything. Just turn on the tap. We want it instant. But if you want to be a godly person and live in the anointing and blessing of God, there's always a price you have to pay for that. So, an altar. An altar in the Bible is very important. You find, let me just give you a few examples of them. I don't want to dwell on this. But Noah built an altar. Clearly, Cain and Abel built altars. They offered sacrifices to God. They must have had a place they did it. Their place was an altar. After the animals, had, or after everything had been killed and Noah came out of the ark, he made an offering to God. That was a very expensive offering. When everything's been destroyed, you've got very little left. That makes it a really costly offering. And so we find there was an offering made to God. He built an altar. Abraham built altars. You find over and over and over again, Abraham built an altar to the Lord. He is the, the father of our faith. He's the man known for altars and tents. He lived in a tent. He constantly moved and walked by faith and constantly built an altar. So not just one altar, many altars, many places of encounters with God. We find God commanded, Genesis 35, God commanded Jacob when he's in trouble and uh, he's in a bit of a mess and God commanded him to go back to Bethel and build an altar of the Lord where God had still first visited him. And that's really where many people are today. You need to go back to the place, not physically. You need to go back to the place where you first experienced God and remembered what that encounter was like and start to build an altar again of consecration of your life to the Lord so you can have a freshness of God. We need freshness of God on our life. Not living out of yesterday, but living out of God spoke to me today. God is touching my life today. And so we find it. We find it in the revival of Hezekiah. In the revival of Hezekiah, you know what the first thing they did? They, just, they restored the altar of the Lord. After the Babylonian captivity, Ezra uh, chapter 4, I think, or chapter 2 verse 4 tells us when they came back, it tells us the first thing they did was restore the altar of the Lord. So if they've been in captivity and the first thing they do before they even build a temple is restore the altar, it tells us of how important an altar is in the Bible. Manasseh, who was given over to the occult, eventually got into problems and repented. And the Bible tells us then. So all through the Bible in the Old Testament, you'll find there are altars being built. Altars are built to offer to God. Altars are built for encounters with God. Altars are built when people have an experience with God. That's the next thing they do is build an altar. Altars are also built when people return to the Lord. So always the altar is the place of engaging and connecting with God. Now, you notice it's called, he repaired the altar of the Lord. Now, I want to just draw your attention to the fact that it's the altar of the Lord. What is the altar of the Lord? You see, very well to read it in the Old Testament and see what they did. But what is that today? The altar of the Lord for us is the cross of Jesus Christ. When Jesus died, we were singing about it this morning, but when Jesus died on a cross, that cross was an altar built to God. That cross is the turning point of history. That cross where Jesus died is the place where God and man were reconciled. 
That cross is central to Christianity. Without a cross, you have no Christianity. Yet today, you'll find in church everywhere, there's no preaching of the cross. No preaching of the power of the cross. The miracle power that comes when we make the cross of Christ central to our faith again. Listen, you can't get better just by trying hard. We need the power that comes through the release of Jesus' life at the cross. The cross in Ephesians 2, 13 to 16, it says, we were reconciled to God by the cross of Jesus Christ. When Jesus died on the cross, he carried our sin. He carried our shame. He carried our sickness. He carried our oppressions. He carried our failures. He carried our poverty. He carried everything that came into mankind that has brought destruction to us. He took it on himself, presenting himself on the altar of the cross as a sacrifice to God. We forget it. When you forget it, then your heart goes crawl. And then your altar goes. So for us, the altar today represents firstly the cross of Jesus Christ and its central place in the life of the believer. The cross, remember what we said, an altar was a place of encountering God. An altar was a place where something surrendered. An altar is a place where there's an exchange. So when Jesus died, once and for all, he made an offering to God. What is the exchange? The exchange is our sin for his holiness, our sickness for his healing, our bondage for his deliverance, our curses for his blessing, except we don't have to do this. He did it on our behalf. He did it on our behalf. He did it on your behalf. He suffered. He suffered a horrendous death on the cross, systematically tortured to death, systematically going through the process step by step of being shamed publicly and finally dying on the cross outside the city, mocked and belittled by everyone. This was an offering acceptable to God. Now listen, in the Old Testament, when people built altars, frequently the fire of God fell on them. I want to read from you, and you'll see that not a literal fire, but God's hand came when Jesus gave his life on the cross. We find it in Matthew chapter 27. I want you to see what happened in Matthew 27. See, we forget what the cross is about. We forget what Jesus did. We forget the debt we owe him. We forget the central place of the cross, and we try to then look for this to help us, that to help us, all kinds of things, rather than coming in humility to the cross. The cross, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians, is the very power of God to them that believe. The cross is the power of God to those who believe. Paul tried wisdom with the Jews and with the Greeks. He tried, he got nowhere. After two years, he gave up and he said, I purposed only one thing, to know Christ and Him crucified. See, so his message changed. He realized you can't persuade people into the kingdom. You just need to proclaim the cross. Let them know what Jesus did and why he did it and how it can be a benefit to us. What Jesus did on the cross and how it can be a benefit. How it's central to our coming into new life. See? And so look what happened on the cross. It says in verse, uh, we read in Matthew chapter 27, verse 45, there was, uh, from the sixth to the ninth hour, there was darkness over the land. Now you read down a little bit further. And you read, it says, the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice saying, uh, 
Eli, Eli, Sabakathani, that is my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of them said, well, he's calling Elijah. Immediately one of them ran, took a sponge, filled it with wine and put it on a reed and offered it to him to drink. And the rest said, no, leave him alone. Let us see if Elijah will come and save him. And Jesus cried out with a loud voice. And it wasn't just a quiet voice. See, I mean with people when they die. When people die, they usually die with a whimper. They don't die with a loud voice. It said, he cried with a loud voice. It was a triumphant, conquering voice. He didn't just surrender and have his life taken from him. He was taking on himself our sin. And when he got to the end, he cried with a loud voice of triumph. And something happened. Fire came from heaven. Holy fire came from heaven. It's too often it happens, the Bible, that fire comes from heaven on an altar where God is pleased with the offering. Notice several things that happen. It says, there was a darkness over the land. And said then, verse 51, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The veil of the temple. Temple was supposedly the place where God dwelt. One of the things in the Bible, when someone experiences grief, you know what it was a common thing for them to do? They would take their outer garment and they would tear it from top to bottom as a sign of immense grief. It's almost as though Father in heaven, on seeing the death of his son in a display of great grief, tore open the veil, making a way for you and I to have access to the presence of God. It costs something to get near God. Don't treat it lightly. It cost Jesus his life to give us access. You can't treat that lightly. If you treat it lightly, you don't go anywhere into the things of God. You stay on the outside. You stay without the power, without the presence, without the encounters, without the miracles. You stay in a place outside. It says the earth shook. There was a mighty earthquake. Not only that, it was powerful enough to shatter rocks. It says not only that, the graves were opened. Dead bodies were exposed. So there was a demonstration of power giving God's approval on the sacrifice. And subsequently, when Jesus rose from the dead, power again was released, honoring him for what he had done. So the cross is the altar. The altar of God is the cross. And you find in all revivals, in all times, when people turn back to God, one of the things that was renewed was the place of the cross in the life of the believer. You can't go past it. You cannot go past the cross of Jesus Christ. So, you notice it says in 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 30, it says, the altar of the Lord. It was a physical altar, but the altar we understand is the cross of Christ and the significance of that work in our lives. When you deny what Christ did, when you deny the work of the cross, you have broken down the altar of the Lord. It says, the altar of the Lord was broken down. Now, I want you to have a look at that. The altar of the Lord was broken down. What does it mean to be broken down? What would that look like for us? What does it mean that the altar was broken down? The word broken down means to pull down, to overthrow or ruin, to make something become ineffective, to stop it functioning. So the altar of the Lord had ceased to function. It had become ineffective. It was broken down. It was just a remnant in history that people spoke about the days when God came. Now, there's nothing. There's no power. There's just ruins and a memory. When it says the, the, the altar of the Lord is broken down, 
means literally that the work of the cross, the work Jesus did, has become ineffective in our lives. It means it's been overthrown. It means we have forgotten what Jesus did on our behalf. We have forgotten it. In spite of the fact that when we take communion, we're called to remember what he did on our behalf so we don't forget it. In the end, it turns into a small ceremony of taking something instead of a vital reminder when Jesus died for me, his power was released to change me. See, the cross. Cross of the cross and the power of the blood are central to Christianity. You can't have Christianity without the cross. So the preaching of the cross is offensive. To the, you have to understand that to the Romans and the Greeks, the whole idea of a God dying on a cross is just nonsense. Their gods were always gods of war, gods who conquered, gods who bought great victories. They prayed to the gods for those things. So to see someone and they say he's a god in the flesh and he's up on a cross to the Greeks, that is nonsense. We want strong gods. For them, it never entered their mind that the God who created the earth would come as a humble servant and demonstrate love and give up his life. To the Jews, the Jews were offended. For them, talking about the cross was, and it's still offensive to this day. Because they expected a king who would come and rescue them and redeem them and save them and raise the nation back. For them to have someone come and he suffered and died such a monstrously humiliating death for them is offensive. Their Messiah would come and rescue the nation. So the cross creates problems because the moment you talk about it, people get upset and they react. Or the cross is the power of God. Depends. See? It depends on whether your heart is open to receive what God has. See, So when it says the altar of the Lord has been broken down, what would that look like in our life? If the altar of the Lord was broken down on your life, what would it look like? Well, it means you've lost your first love. It means desire for God has gone. No altar. See, the altar is required to keep our life alive. The altar, we need to come back to Christ and what he's done for us because as we do that, we come with humility and deep gratitude. You can't ever walk in the presence of God without coming through the cross. The cross reminds us there are things in our life we need to repent of that block intimacy with God. So now what does it look like when the altar is broken down? Well, you don't have a prayer life. There's no hunger for the Word of God, no hunger for the things of God. Uh, you've given up serving God. You can't see the value of serving God. And serving's become boring now. You just don't want to do that anymore. You can tell. See, people who are deeply have the fire of God in them are always engaged serving, advancing the kingdom of God. Why? Because out of gratitude. I'm so excited. I'm full of the fire of God. I want to carry and make Him known stop wanting to make them known through serving and ministering to people, the fire has gone out. The fire has gone out. We need to come back to an encounter with Christ again. So we no longer honor and appreciate him when it becomes a burden to get to church on time, when it becomes a burden to give him an, uh, uh, an offering, when our praise is no longer full of energy in life, it's got nothing left in it, when really it's just a, a lip service to God. Oh, the altar's broken down. That's what's really wrong. It's nothing to do with the musicians or the, uh, the environment. It has to do with our heart having gone cold because there's no place of an altar in our life.
The only way you can get that fire back, it comes from God. It doesn't come by just being in a crowd and having a bit of enthusiasm. It comes by your own experience with the living God. He is a consuming fire. He's the only one can ignite the fire. Oh man, how we need that fire. You need that fire. I need that fire. That fire needs to be burning in us. And I tell you something, when we lose the fire of God, when the altar's broken down, I tell you something, substitutes come in. TV, games, hobbies, clubs, everything except what's important eternally. Just the trivial comes in. I have seen people and their lives are full of trivia. Just trivia, entertaining themselves, waiting till they die, and their life no longer counting for eternity. That is not the church of the living God. God calls all of us. You all have an assignment. Every one of us has an assignment. To fulfill our assignment, we need fire burning in us. You need passion. You need zeal from God. Only God can give it to you. Fire gone out. And so we grieve and quench the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 4.30 says don't grieve the Holy Spirit. How do you grieve that? When you grieve the Holy Spirit, you cause him to feel sad. Well, of course, we don't see him, so we don't notice what we've done. That's why we grieve him. See, in, in Ephesians 4, it tells us things that grieve him are when you harbor unforgiveness, when you uh, talk about people behind their back. That grieves the Holy Spirit. See, when we sin, when we're involved in sexually unclean things, when we lie, when we cheat, when we steal, when we do things that are wrong and we know they're wrong, when we hurt people, when we're insensitive and intolerant of people, all of those things grieve the Holy Spirit. You know how you know the Holy Spirit's grief? Because you've got no joy left in your life. When the Holy Spirit's grieved, there's a deep sadness you can never get over until you get back to the altar and the fire is restored. It's a fire that only the Holy Ghost can bring. So when you grieve Him, then the Holy Ghost fire in your life starts to die. I go to a lot of churches. I choose now to go to churches where there's a hunger for God. And when there's that hunger for God, you can see it in the countenance. People have got joy in their life. There's a life. When they pray, something happens. There's fire burning inside them. So often in New Zealand, we succumb to the spiritual environment instead of actually igniting a fire in our hearts and changing the environment. Passionate and enthusiastic. The Bible says not to quench the Holy Ghost. 1 Thessalonians 5.19. See, to quench the Holy Ghost. Remember, the Holy Ghost is the source of fire. So to quench, the word quench means to extinguish a fire. To extinguish a fire that's burning. We extinguish the fire. And uh, it means to put it out. It means to throw dirt or water on the fire so it no longer burns. It also means this. It means literally to obstruct what the Holy Ghost is doing, to get in his way, to block him, to hinder him, to stifle or suppress the Holy Spirit moving. Now, how about that? You can come to church. You can be a good Christian. You can not do bad things. You can live a good life and yet still quench God. That's what a lot of churches do. We're in danger of it all the time. How do we quench them? Fear will quench the move of spirit. Because fear is the opposite to faith. Faith believes God is trustworthy. I can trust Him and lean on Him. And as I do, I can relax in life. Fear means you've got to control everything. Fear quenches the Holy Ghost. Because what you're saying when you let fear dominate your life, what you're saying is, God, the only one that can be trusted is me. I definitely don't trust you. 
That's what's going on in the heart. And so fear, we, we control everything. Try to make everything without any risk. Why? Because fear has got the do- fear's got the hold of us. We need deliverance from that fear. See, it's shown up by unbelief. I don't trust God. I won't move with Him. You know what? It's, also, it's shown up by mindsets. Fixed minds. It's got to be this way. Fixed minds, inflexible minds, they resist the Holy Spirit and quench the Holy Spirit. You've got to be open. What if God wanted to do something new? Does God do new things? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He did new things. But every time God did a new thing, the, the majority of his people resisted the new thing. Because they had a mindset, it has to be this way. I remember when we got the joy and the laughter, everyone was resisting the joy and the laughter because, well, why should should be serious, you know? Church should be serious. <laughs> this is a new thing. And so I think, well, well, you know, I don't really mind. I mean, laughter's gotta be good. Gotta be good for you. Oh no, no, this is not God. Well, I know where what planet do you come from? You know, the Bible talks about the joy the Holy Ghost gives. Hallelujah. So we, we can block them with mindsets. We block them with stubbornness, with, with a set in our ways. We, we block them when we, we stay resistant and won't be flexible. You have to be flexible if you're going to walk with God. And, and the reason you become flexible is you surrender at the cross your rigidity and your ways of thinking and your self-centered life. That's what brings flexibility. It is surrender. Someone needs to hear that, don't they? (laughs) Timothy struggled with this. Timothy was afraid, so the gifts were quenched. The fire of the Holy Ghost no longer burning. And what do we say? Did he say, well, you just need to pray for a revival? No. He said, Timothy, you need to stir that gift up inside you. Get the gift alive again. So we can stir gifts in our life. Prophecy, moving in the Spirit. All those things can be activated and stirred in our lives. Uh, in uh, Matthew 25, the virgins, they're running out of oil. Running out of oil because they wouldn't pay a price. There's a price to pay to have the fire of God. You think of John, John 5.35. This is what it says about John. I love it. This is what you want God to be saying about you. He said, John was a burning, shining light. A burning, shining light. How about that? I wonder if you share, if people were to ask you or to share at your, at your funeral what kind of Christian you were, I would want them to say, a burning, shining light. Hey? You want that to be said about you. But it'll only be said about you if that's what you are. Ho-hum. Well, we're not going to talk about his Christian life because it was ho-hum. There was nothing bright and shining in it. There was no passion, no zeal, no serving. There were no miracles. There was no believing God. There was no taking risks. There was no reaching out. There was no God. It just seemed like they just didn't change. We don't want that. We want the fire of God. It comes when you build the altar again. The altar is restored. We need the altar restored. So it says in 1 Kings 18 verse 30, he repaired the altar of the Lord. He repaired it. What does it mean to repair the altar of the Lord? See, the first thing it is, is to restore in our life the importance of what Jesus did at the cross. The cross is where the power of God is released. The cross, when we come and surrender, what you surrender to him, you exchange for his ability. 
No surrender. You're trying in your own strength. So you're trying to build your marriage. Why don't you go and build an altar to the Lord and you lay down your efforts and attempts to build and you exchange them for his wisdom in leading and building. You're struggling in your family. Why don't you go and come before the Lord and lay down your efforts and abilities and say, God, I need your wisdom. God, give me the ability to be a loving father, a loving mother. See, wherever it is, we need to come for the Lord's help to seek his face, to seek his strength, to seek his life, to seek fire from God. So it really is this. Simply, you've got to get the cross back into your life again, the appreciation for what Jesus Christ did, and never, ever take it for granted. So what are some practical steps? Number one, humble ourselves. First step, God will give grace to humble people. God helps humble people. And humble people, the humility is foundational to walking with God. And so you'll find that the moment you humble yourself, you're positioning yourself to build an altar for God. But you do it. You don't want God to do it to you. You really want to humble yourself. And in Revelation 3.17, they just said this, well, we've got no need, you know. We're rich and we've got everything we need. We don't need anything. And that's one of the problems in a Western country is we're so blessed and prospered. You read about troubles overseas. Oh, well, that's tough as you think. God, it's a long way away. See, we, we distance and don't realize it's our family are being persecuted and killed. It's our family, God's family. So when we take on that attitude where we don't care, it shows that there's need for an altar to be rebuilt again. We're saying, I have no need. Listen, I've been walking with the Lord for years. I have need every day. I have need every day. And when I forget I have a need, then a little while later, I know I have a need. I come back, I have a need. See, we, we must come to him constantly. Life's too hard without the Lord. Life's too hard to make it work. So first of all, you humble yourself. Then you come and acknowledge your need for him. You acknowledge your need. You know, to kneel before him and say, Lord, I can't do life on my own. I need you to come. I need a fresh encounter, a fresh experience. See, we humble ourselves. And that's not just a one-off thing in a meeting where everyone can see you. This is what you do alone at home. humble ourselves, then we repent. See, I find repentance is a regular part of walking with God because the first place you come to God is at the altar where Jesus died. So anything that gets in our heart that grieves or quenches the Holy Spirit, we need to repent and confess it very quickly. Lord, forgive me for that negative attitude. Lord, forgive me for those unkind words. Lord, I, I spoke in haste. And Lord, I, I judged, and I shouldn't have judged like that. Lord, forgive me. See, it's, it's actually developing a sensitive heart. And, and the only way you can keep your heart sensitive is to stay walking with God, stay at the place of the altar daily. We need that place in the altar of the Lord. Otherwise, we go hard. We just go for a little while, and then you become dull and insensitive, and then you don't even realize you need it. Now, recommit, we need to surrender. Romans 12, uh, verse 1, it says, Present your bodies a living sacrifice. God wants to work through you, but you've got to be available. A lot of people aren't available. So when you come into your time of prayer, it's surrendering your availability for what? For God to interrupt you. For God to interrupt your day and your plans. Well, I've got plans. No, 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 no. Leave your plans before the Lord, and he may want to interrupt them. 
See, but if you're rigid, you can't be interrupted. You miss the chances that God gives you, which are everywhere, every day. So surrender. And to surrender means I let go. I let go my mindsets. I let go my, my strong ways of thinking. I let go the emotional area. I yield my body. And what it means yield your body? The primary meaning is I'm available for you to front up and serve somewhere. Help someone. Be your hands. Be your feet. Make a cake. Do something kind. Ring someone. Visit someone. Talk to someone. Do something. That's what it means. And establish a daily altar. We need to establish a daily altar. And I was going to finish with this, 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 these thoughts. There are three altars, I felt the Lord say, need to be repaired. Number one altar is our personal altar of prayer. We need to rebuild the altar of the Lord. What is your prayer life? How fresh is your experience with God? How sensitive are you to the Holy Spirit? What things have been getting in around your life? What things have you allowing to develop? Anger, bitterness, stubbornness, pride, resistance. What sorts of things are growing unchecked because you haven't come to the altar to surrender them? You'd rather walk in your pride and be powerless than come to the altar and humble yourself and exchange for the life of God. See, it's a real exchange. You've got to let go one to receive the other. That's what makes it a sacrifice. Oh, but I don't want to. And that's what the wrestle is. I don't want to. That's why Jesus prayed so long. He said, Father, oh, if this is possible, I don't want to do this, but not my will, but your will be done. Prayer enabled him to surrender. So number one altar is the personal altar. Coming to the Lord daily to remember what he has done, to remember the, with gratitude what Christ did on the cross and then present yourself to him to take up your cross. Because Jesus said this, it's not a matter of us just coming and saying, Jesus, thank you for forgiving me, blessing me. Well, good day, I'm on my way now. You know, it's nothing to do with that. It's actually got Jesus, you gave your life for me. I give my life and I now become partner with you in your mission to touch the world. He said, you know, you must deny self, take up your cross. In other words, it's going to cost something. There's times when you'd rather be doing something else and you say no to it, and that's taking up your cross. Every time you yield to God's will in your life, you're taking up the cross. Every time you suffer some embarrassment because you're a Christian and no other reason, you're taking up your cross. God sees it and watches it. The second altar that needs to be repaired is between husbands and wives. Men, pray with your wife. Build an altar in your marriage. Why so many marriages can't make the distance? Because of pride. Both are going their own way, doing their own thing. But what if every day you came together? It doesn't have to be long. It can be too, too awkward if it's too long. We <laughs> just come together and just... Just a few minutes, five minutes, reading something together in a simple prayer and talking together and surrendering your lives to the living God to build your marriage. You exchange your independence for dependency upon the Lord. You become vulnerable to your spouse. You see, therein is the problem, so much pride. So the altar is fallen down, broken down. 
there are many marriages where there is no altar. There hasn't been an altar the whole marriage. Because why? Well, I think men were to lead in the family and to take the initiative to something step. I remember the first time I tried, I said, let's get up and pray. So I prayed strongly in tongues. Next thing I hear is sobbing and my wife's sobbing. I thought, well, this is not a very happy family altar, is it? And marriage, anyway, so I realized that that wasn't going to work. So now we've done a different way. We just have a supernatural devotional we read. We've had a devotional for a long time now. We read it in the morning, share together the Word of God, and then pray together. Commit our day, pray for various things, and it brings closeness, brings you back together. You can't do that if there's something between you. The first thing that will go will be the altar. You got something going on in your marriage? First thing that will vanish will be the altar because it will expose it. So we need to repair the altar. And that'll mean some humility and some repentance. And then there's one more altar needs to be repaired. The altar of the Lord that is broken down. And it's the family altar. Where parents lead their children in prayer in the presence of God. We did that almost all the years and every day of our family life. I did that. I, had, I never grew up with that, but I saw Joy's father do it want to do that. So we did that. We bought a, a storybook that was a, a Bible book that was appropriate for the kids at different levels. And every day we had breakfast together and we read God's Word and prayed together as a family. Build a family altar. Build a family altar. There's so many forces at work against children today. There's such an unleashing of the demonic. We need to build a family altar again. I remember a Catholic priest uh, came into uh, the bay when I was a child growing up, and something he said uh, really, I've never forgotten it. He said, the family that prays together stays. See, you know it, eh? We know that one. <laughs> it's true. It's true. We need to pray together. Personal altar. Marriage altar, family altar. It's no use just trying to build great corporate prayer meetings if you haven't got those three altars established. You'll feel good coming to a prayer meeting, but be neglecting what really counts. Your personal life, your marriage, your family. If you're a young person, you can build your own altar to the Lord. If your parents are Christians, encourage them, hey, why don't we pray together? Why don't we start the day reading something and praying together? Someone has to step up and say, let's rebuild the altar of the Lord that is broken down. You say, man, Father, we thank you right now. I can feel the presence of God stirring the hearts of many people. The moment I talked about marriage, I could suddenly feel it go very quiet. When I talked about family, it went very, very quiet. And I know what that means. It means that as you look, I want you to just close your eyes for a moment. And I want you to see what Elijah saw. He saw an altar of the Lord, something that God instituted to be a place of exchange where people could come before him and receive blessing and benefits. And it was broken down, disrepair. And he gathered everyone around. 
and step by step, he built the altar again. He didn't use 10 stones, he used 12. Even though the nation was divided, in God's eyes, he saw it still as one. So he built it again, put a sacrifice on, and the fire of God came. If you were to look at your personal altar, is it strong, fresh with sacrifice and the fire of God? Or is it broken down? If you look at your marriage altar, was it ever established? Have you allowed that altar of the Lord to be broken down? You will have problems in your marriage. You will have things you can't solve. But coming to the Lord, building an altar to Him together, so you look to the Lord instead of contending with each other, that's a great way to build a better marriage. And the family altar. How many young people lost because parents didn't honor God with an altar in their family? That's what I want us to do. I believe there are many here today that God is speaking to all of us to repair the altar of the Lord. If that's you, why don't you come out of your seat right now, come up to the front. You may want to stand. You may want to kneel. What I want you to do is just come, say, God, you're humbling yourself. God, I need you. God, I really need you. I really need you. Help me, Lord. I've neglected the altar of the Lord. It's, it's in disrepair. Lord, I repent. Empower me to build a strong prayer place in my life, my marriage, and my family. Churches, stand together. Every person that God's speaking to you about this, why don't you come make your way to the front? Lift your hands to the Lord. Kneel before the Lord. It doesn't really matter. Lord. Wants to put a fresh touch of His Spirit on you. Come. Let's come right now. Come. Come. Come right to the front. Right over here. Let's move. Let's come. Come on. Let's build altars in our personal life. Let's build altars in our marriage. Let's build altars in our family. Let's build. Let's repair the altar of the Lord that has fallen down. Come. Come and make your decision, your commitment. Say, Jesus, I want fresh fire on my life. I want fresh fire in my marriage. I want fresh fire in our family. If you're husband and wife, come and hold hands together. Commit together. God will build the altar. We'll repair that altar. We'll raise up a place of prayer and honoring God. We will raise up a place of encountering God daily. Come on, there's others today. Let's do it together. Come on. Just at this point, begin to just repent before the Lord. Humble yourself. Begin to cry out to Him. Then we flow into the song to praise the name of the Lord. To repair the altar of the Lord that's broken down. We commit ourselves to build a life of prayer. 